I will click the ring button and see what happens. <laughs> doot, doot, doot. I don't hear the sound. Doot, doot, doot. I know, right? Doot, doot, doot. Doot, 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 doot. <laughs> That's actually oh. pretty good. <laughs> can you can you tell I it's been emblazoned into my memory? Welcome to Growth. Episode number six. Conscionable landing with Don Hennig. Cool. So so Don. Yeah. Give give us an intro for who are you? You know, like, who is Don? Who is Don? Don is an old guy. <laughs> you know, what, you know what I, who I am? I'm a guy that has, is, today the, the term is serial entrepreneur, but I never heard that term until the last maybe 10 years. But, you know, you think about it. When I was uh, 19, I, I, I bought an ice cream truck and made a ton of money selling ice cream. You know, uh, I started my own financial planning company, made a ton of money, bought my first house, my my second house, my first new car, all that. That led me in. This is in the 80s. All right. So probably before you were born, Dylan. <laughs> Only slightly. Just a little. Uh, and, 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 you know, owning a financial planning company and having tons of clients and knowing tons of financial planners, all of a sudden the first refi boom happened and people other financial planners knew that i had a mortgage or not a mortgage but a banking background so they came to me and asked me what do we do how do we help our clients so i figured out the mortgage world which was is as complicated as anything i've ever seen and there were no books on it there was nothing i had to dig in and back into stuff and figure stuff out and before you know it i had a mortgage company with tons of financial planners bringing me their clients and it worked out really, really well. I built one of the largest mortgage banking firms uh, in New York State at the time. Uh, and I started the New York Association of Mortgage Brokers back in the beginning. I was president of a national association. I testified before the House, the Senate. So I became very well known in the mortgage industry. Uh, and then I sold my mortgage business uh, in 1995. And I uh, took some time off. I built a mortgage broker franchise. And I sold that just a couple of years later. Uh, you know, so now you get the serial entrepreneur part, right? And so what do I do? I had young kids at the time. I, I, what do I enjoy doing? I love being out on the fields with the kids, soccer fields, lacrosse fields, baseball fields. So I started a soccer newspaper. Never did anything like that in my, in, in my life. I'm the only person. I started the whole thing. Uh, within about two months, I had a, a, a company where – Again, I sold every ad, did every article, every picture, all the distribution, 55,000 copies a month, 32 full pages, 50% um, of it being advertisements, very profitable. Within six months, 167,000 copies a month, the official publication for New York State Soccer, and sold that to my partners because I had some other things to do. And I wanted to get into – this is before – you know, this is in the dot-com boom, and I wanted to get into the dot-com world, and I wanted to learn technology. And I got deep into all of that and worked with a few different companies. In fact, one of the chairman of uh, the two companies that I worked for, two different companies, the last thing I did with them was help them merge their two companies. And then I got back into the mortgage industry. I was asked to come back in and help build uh, a direct-to-consumer online business. Uh, we became uh, the fifth largest direct-to-consumer online mortgage company in the nation, uh, and then built a wholesale division, which we became the sixth largest in the nation, uh, doing all together, and then the correspondent division. Just my divisions alone were probably doing, I don't know, maybe about 60 to $70 billion a year in business, uh, and making, you know, three hundred million dollars plus in net profit. And uh, the nice thing is I was paid by as a percentage of profit. So that was, that was a good deal uh, until the whole mortgage world blew up. And so did my world blow up. And I lost many millions. But the, the thing that happened that day was I saw people walking out of the building with boxes and I knew they had it much worse than I had. And the first thing I did was I went out the next day and contributed money uh, as much as I could. And uh, for the next couple of weeks, even though I wasn't employed and I didn't have a job, 
what I did was I hired people on my team to come in. And I worked with the bankruptcy court to help us open up buildings around the country and turn technology on. And we placed, I don't remember the exact number, but I think the number was 1,100 people in jobs uh, over the next couple of weeks. I never worked harder in my life. It was probably, I'm going to say, one of the best things I ever did. Uh, and I, I just loved it. Uh, but from there, I started an entertainment company. We did eight feature-length films, a Broadway show called Rock of Ages. Um, you know, uh, started a foreclosure business, buying and selling uh, foreclosures. We did 300 of those in 18 months, but I got out of that because I just didn't enjoy it. Uh, I took my second, you know, I, I called it taking a break for about three years where, you know, my wife would have called it a retirement, but it, to me it was a break and ended up getting back into the mortgage industry again. I got asked to come back in and run a large national uh, one of the largest uh, independent mortgage bankers in the nation and built their sales nationwide, which was great. But then it was time to take a break and, you know, just enjoy life. And I took five years off. And then this happened. I started meeting with a friend of mine from the mortgage world from 20 years before. And it's kind of an interesting story. I sent him a, a, an email on uh, uh, LinkedIn one day. I remember sitting on a train coming out of Manhattan and I sent him an email, just thought of him. And I just said, hey, man, I hope all is well. You know, I haven't talked to him in 20 years. And uh, he responded back, hey, it's great to hear from you. Let's have lunch. We did. And we started brainstorming new ideas. And we started looking at the Amazon world and the Amazon sellers. And we started saying, you know, well, how can we help them? They, they, they make a great ROI. But for the most part, they don't have a lot of money. And so I started doing a lot of research on that and started talking to a lot of Amazon sellers at the time. And I found that their dreams were very big. They all, you know, literally, I'm going to say almost everyone, if not everyone that I spoke to, told me that within two years, they're going to be making a million dollars. And, and, and I'll never forget this one lady. She had $5,000 in capital. And then she took a step back and she said, all right, you know, in, in two years, I'm going to sell a million dollars worth of product. And in three years, I'm going to make a million dollars. And I said, well, how are you going to do it with $5,000? So we matched her $5,000. And anyway, just a, that's what we, we decided to do was we look at these, these sellers. They're doing very well. We'll match their, their, their capital dollar for dollar, help them grow their business in ways that they could never, ever, ever have done it on their own. When you look at the, the tra trajectory of their businesses, they literally get on a hockey stick because the big thing that we figured out was that what help holds them back when they go out to get new capital is this big monthly payment that they have to make. So like, how do you get around that? You know, what lending, you know, the, all I have is really a lending background. How do you lend money and then, you know, get rid of this big monthly payment, which they all have? And we came up with a completely unique idea that really we both sat there and so said, holy cow, this really works. This makes a lot of sense. So what we do is, uh, am I jumping too far ahead first off? We just keep going. Talk as long as you want. Don't worry about it. All right. All right. So, so what we do is we look at the sellers and as long as they're making money, then it makes sense to leverage their business, to grow their business faster, to use other people's money. So, but if they make a large payment, they're going nowhere. They're just treading water. They're you know paddling up a stream. You know it's just useless. And most people don't realize it's useless until they build a spreadsheet and they see how useless it is. So what we did was we said, all right, how about we match them dollar for dollar? You have ten thousand dollars. We'll give you ten thousand dollars. And we just take a percentage of the profits. So we don't own your company. We're no permanent equity. We just take a percentage of the profits for as long as you use our money. And what we'll also do is our percentage, our profit percentage that month, let's say we earn $1,000, whatever the number is, doesn't matter. We'll offer to leave it in the business. So you don't have to take any money out of your profits and give it to us, leave it in the business, and you just grow, 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 grow. And when you look at that and you put that on a spreadsheet, and we have it on our, on our website as a calculator, it literally is a hockey stick. You can take your business and just grow, you know, like crazy with that. So, you know, there's no negative for the seller that we could find because they can't lose. 
The only way, there's one way a seller can lose with us. There's only one way. And that's if they take our money and they don't use it. They just leave it in the bank. Because then they're paying us a percentage of the profits and they didn't get any value out of it. So you, if you just think, and I'm going to go on for one more minute. If just use an example, just off the top of the head, nice, easy one, like with $10,000. You know, the seller with $10,000 and we'll just say that they're earning 20% ROI. Fantastic. I mean, that's that's wonderful. God bless them, right? So they, they earn $2,000 on their $10,000 investment. But now we give them $10,000. So now they have $20,000 and they're going to earn $4,000. And in that case, we represent 50% of their, of their capital. So whatever, you know, you would think if we're going to put in 50% of the money, we would want 50% of the profits. But that's not what we do. Whatever our percentage of the, of the capital is, we take half of that in profits. So if we're 50% of the, of the capital, only 25% of the profits. So in that scenario, they are now earned $4,000. All right. So one month, they earn $2,000. The next month, now they're able to earn $4,000. $1,000 is due to us, right? 25%. But they, what did they get? They got $3,000. So if you think about it, they just increased their ROI in one month, month from 20% to 30%. They got $3,000 on their $10,000 investment. That's it. It's amazing. And they didn't have to pay anything. And now in month two, that $1,000 that we earned, keep it in the business. And pretty much everybody wants to keep it in the business. So we'll leave it in the business. So now they don't have, you know, $20,000 to invest. They have $24,000 to invest. And you can just see how that just ramps up. And the next month, I don't remember what it gets up to, but about $29,000. And just unbelievable how fast it goes. And then it compounds on top of each other. So that was the idea. The idea makes an awful lot of sense. We went out to literally one hedge fund in New York City, a major one and pitched it to them. And I said to my partner before we walked in, and you, I think you'll appreciate this. I asked him a question before we go in. I said, do you know what 242 is? And he said, no, what? Dylan, do you know what 242 is? Yeah, me and you had this conversation. <laughs> so, so 242 is the number of meetings that Howard Schultz, or pitches that Howard Schultz from Starbucks made before anybody invested in Starbucks. 242. So we went in saying, look, we're not going to walk out with capital. We're going to walk out with a different perspective, some incredibly intelligent you know, uh, questions. They're going to put spreadsheets together that we can't even understand. And we're going to have to learn all this stuff. And we're going to learn so much. And we're going to get better and better and better. So there's no pressure here. Well, that was the only meeting that we had with a hedge fund. And about... Six weeks later, they gave us the commitment for uh, $100 million, just to put it in perspective. Yeah, so it's a nice start. So right now, we've been building the technology. We've been having a lot of fun with that. We've got three different technology teams going at the same time. Uh, we're building tools for the sellers so that they help them make more money for themselves. Because the only way we make money is if they make money. You know, if, if the seller doesn't make any money, we don't make any money. Completely different from a bank. So uh, we're just ready to start coming out of the box again. We're going to start, we're going to probably take the first $5 million and invest it over the next 30 days or so. So not with too many, uh, too many sellers, just good sellers at, you know, minimum of five or $10,000 of capital. And then, you know, really there's not much of a upper limit, but we'll probably cut it off at, you know, 250 to, to a million, somewhere in there. And, um, and that's it. And, you know, build with a, a small, we're, we already have a small group. Now we'll build with a little bit bigger group, make sure that everything is going right. And then we'll start building a lot faster. Nice. No, that's really cool. That's really interesting. So basically you jump to get, you know, to what you're saying earlier, like, you know, the whole serial entrepreneur, you get bored fast <laughs> from what I heard, <laughs> which me and you have had, had dinner together. So I know your level of energy in person, but it, it is very interesting what you guys are doing from the lending side, because you know, from my perspective, having, you know, 
grown a, a, a decent size wholesale Amazon business, um, dealing with those capital constraints. Cause you know, I started, I think I had like 1500 bucks cash to my name and like a $5,000 credit card, like the majority of Amazon sellers and really just e-commerce business owners to begin with. I, I've always said you're in one of two phases from, from that perspective, right? You're, you're typically in the first phase, which is I've got some capital, but I can't find enough inventory to purchase, right? So you have, you have a supply problem and then if you focus in and, and you really attack that correctly, you now don't have a problem finding good products to source. Like you don't have that problem, right? Now it's more so of a, a capital problem. So you transition from phase one, which is I've got some capital, but not enough inventory to phase two, which is the inverse, which is I have so much inventory access that I could go raise 50 grand right now and deploy that in the next 30 days profitably. And I feel like most sellers get to that place earlier than they anticipate. And then it becomes a hard question of how do I do this, right? Because there, there are a lot of options. There's SBA. You can certainly go to credit card route, which many people do. I certainly did. Uh, not recommending it, but you know, there's so many options there. And it's a bit daunting and overwhelming because you also, you mentioned this earlier too, Don, is a lot of sellers have this huge, huge idea of where they want to take their company. And it's such a large gap to bridge between five grand to your name and a million dollars in annual revenue, right? I mean, to go from that to a seven-figure company is no small feat. I mean, certainly, like, I've done it. Like, it's not easy. But you have to ask the question, do you really want to do that? And if you do, now you have to make a tough decision, which is, great, let's reverse engineer how to get there. And if your biggest bottleneck, so to speak, is capital, great, now we need to have a conversation of how do we raise money. Um, and that can mean different things, right? Some people want to go raise money from a new partner on the equity side, or they want to take debt, or this hybrid approach, which you guys have kind of created, which to me sounds similar to like a working capital kind of structure almost, right? A little bit different, um, but where you have that money that you can actually work on and utilize um, for a long period of time and compound over, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. But, uh, I agree with everything you just said. I want to give you an example. Because I think this drives it home. If you think about sellers that do get to that next level where they're thinking, you know, in the next two years, three years, I might be able to sell my business. I might get a four or five, maybe even a six multiple. And I would love to do that and move on to the next thing, you know, or my next product or whatever it might be. You know, God bless them, right? You know, that's a fantastic thing to, to dream about. And what way some of the sellers are looking to use us is exactly in that scenario. So they, they start out, they've got $10,000, dollars $100,000. They're starting to say, you know, it's within the realm of possibility of me selling. So now if we put in money into their business, we put in $100,000 into their business. And now over the next two years, they grow the business rapidly because they can now. They have the capital to do it. And as they're growing, if they needed more money, we'll give them more money. You know, I mean, I, we're happy to do it. We just don't go over 50%. So we'll match their capital, but no more than that. But now let's say they get to that point where, hey, we are going to sell the business. We're going to, you know, walk away with a million dollars or whatever the numbers are, multiple millions. God bless them, right? How much do they pay us? They don't pay us a percentage of the business. They don't pay us a percentage of what they're selling. They just pay us our money back plus whatever our accrued profits are. That's it. Right. Again, on our calculator on the, on the site, there's one of the screens that we do is uh, the profit participation. So just natural that as the business grows, the profit percentage goes down. So the business goes up and our profit percentage goes down. Who would ever do that? We're going to give them, you know, 50% to start. We'll take 25% in that scenario of, of the profits. So take less than we're, we're putting in and let our, our profit percentage actually drop over time. So we become a very small part of a very big pie. Right. That's, that's our goal. And I think it's important too that, that you brought the, you know, the potential sellability of a business, right? Because a lot of people, I think do get to a certain point where, you know, if this is like your first business and you've never really had to consider the fact that you could exit a company you're like, oh wait, that's actually a possibility. Maybe it is something that I want to do. Now you're faced with this idea of, okay, well we have a valuation, which is, you know, what is your company worth? And then a multiple, right? So 
if, if your company is worth half a million dollars and you're going to get, let's say a multiple on that for four times. Okay, great. We can do that math, but you'll see this. Cause I do watch a lot of companies that are for sale within our space, just cause it's interesting to see how multiples fluctuate in the private sector. Um, and you know, you typically see a large run up in the last 12 months on the very minimum in terms of growth, because what you're wanting to do is say, great, my company does half a million a year in revenue assuming we can't change the multiple and let's assume the multiple is five X. Well, can we increase revenue by a quarter million? If we can do that, great. Now we have a larger payday. And I think what's very interesting, cause you know, we're looking at potentially raising a round um, of VC capital and stuff like that. Cap tables matter, right? So if you're not familiar with a cap table, it's okay. Who owns the equity, right? What does that look like? And unfortunately having a diluted, so to speak, or a, a chaotic, for lack of a better word, cap table can be difficult for potential buyers. Prime example, if there's five owners, it's very difficult to get a deal done when five people want five different things. So the fact that you guys are not taking actual equity, I think is very helpful from that side of things. Um, because it's easier to explain out. It's easier to to you know part ways if that happens to be the case. Obviously, new management, all that stuff. But you don't have to you know, get buy-in, so to speak. Because me as a buyer, if I'm acquiring a company and I see there's three partners, I'm like, is this going to be more difficult? Because it only takes one partner to be like, I don't want to sell, period. And now the entire deal is potentially a wash. And, you know, for buyers with money, it's like, do I even want to waste my time when this other company has one person on the cap table? <laughs> and it's going to be a super easy deal to run. So staying with that, it's actually, we bring something else to the table that we didn't even talk about, but the business acumen. Now, I've sold multiple businesses. I've been the point person in acquisitions, large acquisitions. I'm going to say at least 20 to 30 businesses nationwide, at least. Uh, my uh, partners have uh, bought and sold many businesses. They uh, owned a, a, and built a company working with uh, publicly held companies and micro cap companies and helping them raise capital. Uh, so, I mean, we have a lot of expertise in this. So if one of our, our seller partners decide, hey, look, we're going to be selling, we're going to, you know, we want to build a business, like you said, in the next 12 months, like, like crazy, every penny back in, we want to just build as fast as we can, as big as we can to get this multiple, multiple. Well, we're going to help you every which way, not just with money, but let us review some of your agreements for you. Let us, you know, let us give you some, you know, weekly, daily, monthly advice on what to do. And when you're meeting with these other, these pr prospective buyers, let's look at it together. I'm, we're just here to help you. We don't get anything out of it except help you. Our entire goal, because we are completely aligned with the seller, our entire goal is for the sellers to make a freaking fortune. And then if they do, we make, we make money. But all we care about is them doing really, really well. And what we really want is long-term, let's say they sell the business, we want them to always think of us like, holy shit, those guys are the best. Yeah, and I've seen you guys kind of build this network too, right? Because you've, you've leaned on me a few times too. Where it's like, you know, hey, one of our, our, our sellers is having this kind of problem. Would you mind helping or, you know, and I think that's super important because a lot of us, especially within the Amazon space, if you know, that's kind of where the focus of the conversation is today. Yeah. It, it, although there's a community around it and Jonathan hopefully will agree with me, it's super lonely because yeah, we can talk all day long about Amazon, but it's like the moment you start talking about the personal side or your business details, everything is now like blacked over, right? Like, like we could talk all day long about high level stuff, but we can't talk about anything relevant to Jonathan or to me because that's a quote unquote risk. But, but to be able to say, Hey, I'm having this problem and to have somebody say, Hey, don't worry. I got somebody you can talk to who's separated enough, right? To where it's like, yeah, I've gone through that. I got you. I know what you're talking about. 100%. Here's what I would recommend you doing and them not feel like they have to go to a quote unquote, you know, guru, um, and pay them $500 per hour to get a quick question answered. You know, um, obviously there's different business models, but my personal view is like, yeah, my time is worth something, but also like karma kind of helps too. <laughs> and if I can help 
Right. Like if I can answer a question via email and it takes me five minutes, but saves you two months of heartache, I think we both kind of won there. Like I got the karma, <laughs> you got the answers and saved yourself two, two months. It's a solid win for me. And you never know when that's going to come back to help you in it, whether it be in this industry or something else, it always comes back. And if I can help somebody, I'm going to help somebody. You know, I'm going to make money. I've always made money. That's not something that I have a problem with. But if I'm going to do my best to help people just, you know, not make the mistakes, enjoy their lives and help them make a lot of money. That's the goal. I'm curious, what's the distribution? Because there's there's a lot of different Amazon business models, right? There's private label, there's wholesale. What kind of distribution do you guys see in terms of, you know, I guess like where's the large portion of your lending focused in? Is it private label? Is it wholesale? Is it like a like an arbitrage model? Yeah, right now what we're uh, focused on is anything FBA. We'll get to the FBM. But we're, you know, we have to pick our niche. And right now, I'm going to say 90% of what we're doing, maybe 70 to 80% really is uh, wholesale. Okay. And there's a little bit of private label. Uh, and I think that's it. There might be a little OA in there as well. Okay. Because private label seems to make a lot of sense. The The issue there is, so you, at least my understanding, I'm not a private label person, if you can't tell, but, you know, from my understanding, you know, we might get three months worth of inventory, but this is like... I need a lot of working capital in the next 30 days. I need to spend a hundred grand in the next 30 days, but that's three months worth of inventory. So the churn rate on that, that capital expenditure is a bit lower than it would be with wholesale. So, you know, I, yeah, I guess it makes sense where wholesale would be a better fit, so to speak. Um, just because those churn rates that, that, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, always a little harder to lend on just from a, a risk profile. <laughs> it is, but we'll only, uh, you know, recognize the product when it's at Amazon. It's, if it's at Amazon, then we count it as inventory. You know, if, if you've just gone out and bought it, we don't see it. We don't know it's there. You know, we don't have yeah. collateral. We don't have personal guarantees. We don't check your, your credit report or your tax returns or any of that stuff. So we have to, we have to make sure that the product is somewhere. And the somewhere to us is in a warehouse at Amazon. So in the scenario, coming back to private label for a second, if someone's looking to create a new product line, a new brand, what have you, the, the only point wherein you consider what they're doing, I guess, viable, for lack of better words, from your perspective, is once the product is already created, it's already packaged, all of, all of the work is already done, and it's available for sale. That's when you start considering it. A serious thing. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. The rest of it, it's still a dream. So in our minds, you know, that might be the best dream in the world. And as we all know, and I know I've seen it with private label, you know, some of them, I would say that's a home run. There's no question. And it fails miserably. Like, you know, the best minds in the world are saying, you know, great things about whatever, but some of them just don't work. And we all have seen. It. Uh, so what, where it would really play in Jonathan is more, that that private label seller has one product already or multiple products that are already successful. So now we'll count those, but now they want to take the money and go and build this other product. Well, all right, that's fine, but we're only going to, we're not going to take any profit on those other products. We're not going to count them. They're all yours. But once they turn into, you know, some kind of a history of profitability, and then you want to borrow against them. I say borrow. It's a terrible word. <laughs> if you want to raise capital against that, then we're happy. We're, we're, we'll be all in. But uh, again, until that happens, the seller makes 100% of the profit on it. We get nothing. So it's almost, it's, it's almost a blessing and a curse at the same time in that in a more traditional business lending space, you have to create these elaborate presentations and like the spreadsheets that you were talking about, right? That pitch that you went to do at the hedge fund, yeah. the, in, a, in a more traditional business, the seller would be responsible for doing that, looking for somebody to give them money, and then they go build the, the widget and then sell it. Correct. And you're liable. <laughs> I think I think that's what's interesting too, because I remember Don when me and you first talked and, and you you told me what you guys were doing. I'm like, wait, so you're taking no <laughs> collateral, no guarantees, no no personal like guarantees? I'm like, man, because so I'm a finance major. If you know anybody doesn't know, and like I get valuations, I get lending to a certain degree, and I'm like, man, that, that's a huge risk. And so 
the way it seems you guys offset the risk that you're taking on as the lender is to say, listen, there is a clear difference between you testing something, which is a new private label brand or a new product, and then you already having done the testing and you are now ready to scale and grow. You guys are saying, listen, the way we're going to kind of manage our risk portfolio here to a certain degree or risk exposure, should I say, is, listen, you're going to use the cash you have (laughs) to test. But once you've done the the testing and you can prove this product or this brand is viable, right? now it makes sense to use leverage. And I've, I've said this, it's so funny. I've said this for years, just from a wholesale standpoint where people say, okay, Dylan, I've got two grand cash, $5,000 credit card. How do I manage this with new products I'm bringing on? Perfect example. We're going to take the two grand cash. That's your riskiness, right? You can lose that and not owe anybody money. So what you do is while you're testing new wholesale products, you're only using your cash. But the moment that you have proven the product or the brand, the supplier, what have you, and you're placing, let's say your, your second or third order, ideally your third or fourth order. Now we have some, some history, some data. Now I'm willing to use leverage to grow because leverage is fantastic from a growth standpoint, if done correctly, like talk about infinite returns, leverage enables that. Um, but you have to know when to use what. And so I like that you guys are basically saying, listen, we're not just doing straight like interest rate, in which case, yeah, it's interest rate. We agree to it. You're liable for it. I don't care what you do with it. You're saying that's fine. But by default, you're, you can only really use this for growth because that's what it's meant for. And it protects them just as what you're saying, you know, so God forbid. So you, you, using leverage, leverage is fantastic if you're making money, if you're making right. a profit, then you, in your scenario, then use leverage to build that fast. But if you're losing money, leverage will cause you to lose even more money and faster. It's the worst thing in the world. It is a horrible situation to be in. So we're pretty much protecting them from doing that to themselves in a lot of cases. Sure. Yeah. But leverage is great. If you're, if you're making money, holy cow. And, and most people in this business, because some of them are small businesses. They don't know this. I remember when I had my first mortgage company and I learned, you know, I knew about leverage. And, uh, but I, I, how do you really use it in your own business? I saw some other big businesses using it. And we were pretty big, you know, we were doing, you know, huge amounts of, 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 of lending at the time. And I went out and I took out the first loan and everything went well. And then I'll never forget about a year or so later when things went bad and the market just turned on me. And I'll tell you, 1987, you've heard a lot about 1987, October of 87 over the last few weeks because of the market. And if you can imagine the market going down 10% in one week. And then on that Monday, so we had Black Friday and then Black Monday, and Black Monday went down almost 23% in one day. Like, oh my God. So now if you have loans, you still have to pay those loans, but you also have to pay your employees and their taxes and their health insurance and on and on and on. And it's like, oh crap, that's the worst position in the world to be in. You feel, you know, that's when an entrepreneur is not sleeping at all. So I've gone through it, sorry to say. Most entrepreneurs have gone through it, especially if they've ever built big businesses. They've learned that lesson, not just in the, in the textbooks, but they've learned it you know, with the scars. And uh, I'll give you one quick thing. And I know I sent this, said this to you a long time ago, Dylan, but something that all entrepreneurs can uh, uh, appreciate. I, I remember, I'll never forget, I was in a guy's house. I was writing a mortgage. I was, you know, in my early 20s. And uh, he was a landscaper. And on his refrigerator, he had a, uh, like a little poster. And it said, sometimes owning your own business is as overrated as mom's apple pie. And I'm like, no, at the time I was making a freaking fortune. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. One, every business has the ups and downs. And when you have those downs, it can be really, really, really brutal, 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 brutal. And think about our model. When you're doing well, we're doing pretty good. When you're doing bad, we're not doing anything. We get nothing. It's not like we're going to come take your house and your car and your kids because, no, we have no collateral. We have no personal guarantees. We're in this together. We're here to help each other. So when we see one of our sellers making mistakes, we say, all right, hold on a second. 
we do some analysis behind the scenes. We look at things and try to help them and learn and, and teach them where the mistakes were made so that they can grow a little bit safer and a little bit smarter and a little, lot bigger long term. So it's really a team effort. It's a lot of fun. We become very close with our, our clients, our sellers, our partners. Uh, we really do. You know, we really care about them. Bottom line. Do you have any plans on branching beyond Amazon sellers? I mean, obviously, Amazon, the Amazon marketplace isn't the only e-commerce platform out there, right? I, I can imagine there's at least a few listeners who have nothing to do with Amazon and are still really curious about this alternative. Uh, I mean, some would go so far as to say is actually, you know, conscionable lending opportunity. Do you guys have any plans to expand in that regard? Yeah, we do. And, and I like the way you put that, Jonathan. That's, uh, re- I really like that. That's my, that's my good fancy word for the day. That was very <laughs> good. I won't ask you to spell it, though. I probably couldn't. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're just starting with Amazon. Obviously, it's the biggest, and, and, and we are able to build the API with Amazon. There's a lot of good information that we can pull out every day, every minute. Uh, so we're loving that. We're getting you know great technology uh, being built. Uh, but there's so many other opportunities. So initially, we're just starting with Amazon in the United States. Now we have some of our clients there uh, in Canada as well. We've got some that are now moving to Mexico. Uh, and we're going to gradually now, you know, we'll, before long, we have a couple that are already talking to us about Germany, the UK, and, and Australia. And so we're, we have to learn those markets as we go. But then certainly, uh, you know, there are many other uh, applications, you know, certainly Shopify and and all the other marketplaces, but it can be used in other industries as well. So if you think about it, any industry that is transaction based with a good ROI, this works. So it could be, and I'm going to make up, you know, used car sales. It could be day trading. I don't know. I'm just making those up. But there, it. We actually went to a friend of mine who works at one of the large advertising firms in Manhattan that everybody would know their name, uh, but he's, he, he's, you know, he's working there as opposed to on our deal. And uh, he looked at us and he said, this is going to, you know, I hate the word, but he goes, this changes the entire paradigm of lending. He, and his words were, lending is dead. And he goes, in, in five years, 10 years, people are going to, everybody's going to be doing it this way. Why would they not? He goes, and these are his words. It, it's uh, inherently fair. So similar to what you said, Jonathan, it's inherently fair uh, for, for everybody. Everybody wins or, or everybody loses. You know, we're in it together. It's inherently fair. It's, um, uh, you know, I, I, forget, I forget the other terms that he used, but it was just, he, he, he and his team were blown away by what we're doing, that it, they see it as the future. And I agree with them. I think it is the future. Do you see more financial institutions adopting a model like this, especially now where everything has more or less come to a standstill if your business is existing in a building and requires foot traffic? Do you, do you see other banks kind of picking up on something like this or are they just too far gone? Like the, the, the chase branch across the street from my home, for example, do you think one day I could walk in there and make some kind of arrangement like this? Is that, is that really just a pipe dream? Cause you know, old guard and whatnot. I, I think what'll happen first, it'll be the investment banks, the Goldman Sachs, the Morgan Stanley's and, and, and those which will have uh, divisions that will get into this business. And they already are touching, you know, the Amazon world, and they're touching a lot of worlds. You know, they 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 lend in the mortgage world. They do a whole bunch of different things that we don't get to see, and they might do it under the same name or under a slightly different name, typically under a different name. So yeah, I fully expect that within a very short period of time, we will have competitors from the 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 core lending world. But I would expect, I'm thinking that it'll be the investment banks first. And then once they start doing well, then everybody's going to be in. That makes sense. Would you guys, I'm curious, because I I see a lot of opportunity right now. Um, One, where the market's at. Two, just across the board. I think there's a huge amount of opportunity in acquiring a 
a low six figures private label brand, growing that with your Amazon knowledge, taking that oddly enough offline to brick and mortar or the inverse, right? You buy a really solid brand that does really well from brick and mortar, but has not moved online. You acquire that company, that brand, and then you take them online. Would you guys ever be open to doing almost like funding from that standpoint? Because what's interesting is a lot of your your acquisitions, right? You have a, you have a ton of different financial instruments to use, right? You can use certainly old school leverage. You can go the IB, the investment banking route, the private equity route. You can use seller financing with you know clawback clauses. You can do all these crazy things. But what's interesting is if you could take this, I'm going to call it a a performance a performance based approach to lending. I think there could be something there. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think Dylan just pitched you right here, right now. <laughs> you heard it here first. If this ever becomes a thing, if Don ever does this, you'll know where it came from. Right. Jonathan, I think he might have topped your, your word with his performance-based lending. I like that. My argument is that I'm not a finance major and I was able to come up with that. So that's all I got to say there. <laughs> Jonathan won relatively. <laughs> I love it. He's just a brilliant tech guy. I'm not going up against you, Jonathan. <laughs> not a chance. Fair enough. But yeah, I, I do see that happening because we can we can see where the product is. We can see what the performance is. And eventually, we're going to have relationships with um, major warehouses around the country so that if we wanted to do uh, FBM, that's fine, as long as it's in one of these warehouses, as long as we have confirmation that, yes, there is you know 100 of X sitting in this warehouse. And now we know what the price is. We know how often you're going to sell it. You know, we have all the statistics already built in. So that's all that we care about as long as, you know, otherwise it's not really collateral, but we just have to know that you have it. And if it's in your garage, we don't know you have it. Interesting. Okay. So that's pretty cool. Okay. So you're saying you you may actually take more of a operational, at least from a logistics standpoint, role, not and not just a not just a financial role. We just want to know that the product is there. So when it's gotcha. at okay. Amazon, we know it's there. If okay. it's at a warehouse that you know has an agreement where we're a third party, so that uh, when you put you know a hundred of whatever at that warehouse, we can see it online. That it- gotcha. So it's more like strategic database partnerships, which I think makes a ton of sense, right? Because this allows you guys to take a more a, a more technologically you know enhanced view on things where you're not just relying because again you guys are taking on a lot of risk here like i mean let's let's call it i mean it's a lot of risk on your side and so if you guys can at some point you know to use a buzzword in tech use an algorithm um to manage that risk i think that's super super helpful i mean it just it helps you guys make smarter decisions from a lending standpoint and mitigate risk um, which helps you scale i think that's pretty cool yeah, we've already built uh, some things internally. Uh, one tool that we just use internally, we actually term it the brain. And the brain will not just look at what you have, but it'll look at what you've sold over the last three to six months, what the average prices have been, what's going to happen in the future, all uh, like dozens and dozens and dozens uh, of factors that go into that algorithm. And it tells us, what this what this thing is really worth and it's fascinating but yeah i agree with what you're saying so this i mean it's actually a good point i had gotten distracted by uh uh, fbm notifications that i've been receiving last week don you weren't here but we were talking about self-fulfillment and things like that do you see moving into that space how would you if you do how would you you know just maybe just off the top of your head kind of track something like that right like because you know, I could show you, hey, look, here's all the inventory it's sitting in my office behind me. What does that actually mean, right? Does that does that make sense? You know what I'm getting at here? It makes sense, yeah. And and right now, no, we wouldn't be involved in that because, again, we the only way we can confirm that that product is there is you telling us. And, you know, you're a nice guy and, and everything is good until it's bad. And I've seen it too many times where when things go bad, people do some stupid things. And, you know, it's understandable. They're trying to protect themselves, but they do stupid things. And we don't want to be a part of that. So if your products, but when you're and you're shipping them, if you had them at a warehouse that we were comfortable with, and that warehouse is doing your sh- the shipping for you and such, and it's going to cost you a little bit extra to do that, I understand. 
But if it made sense, then yeah, that would be something we would consider. But we haven't done we haven't done that yet. So I mean, we covered a ton here, and I think it's a lot for people to to take in, to process, to kind of figure out like what decisions they need to make if they're in that position, right? So you know, where where can people reach out, Don, if they wanted to reach out to you, if they wanted to have a conversation with you, if they wanted to check out the calculator that you mentioned? Sure. So the first place to go is to the website, accrueme.com, A-C-C-R-U-E-M-E.com. And on there, you'll see one of the tabs is for the, the calculator. Yeah, you'll you'll get all the information there. You can also email us there and you'll you'll capture, you know, we'll capture it instantly. Or you can actually just send me an email directly. Uh, and it's just Don, D-O-N, at accrueme.com. Nice and easy. And uh, we love getting on the phone. And actually, you know, people that have questions, Jonathan and uh, and Dylan, and they, they wonder, you know, like, what should I do? You know, I have this opportunity. I have this. I could take out credit cards and this and that. I love having those conversations. Like, you know, I'll tell you one thing as far as credit cards. And I, you know, there's good and bad, right? And you know it as well as I do that, you know, it, it can help you for a short period of time as long as you pay them off as quickly as possible. You know, it's, they're not a positive. And the, the easiest way to know it is just Google. And I don't remember what I, what I did, but I, I think I put in how to pay off credit cards. And I think they were 2.5 billion results. 2.5 billion. It's ridiculous. Go on Amazon and type in, you know, how to pay off credit cards. And the amount of books, you know, you, Amazon, it, it's bigger than Amazon was when it started. It's, it's ridiculous. Everybody's trying to get out of that debt and get out from under that. But for a short period of time, it makes sense. And, you know, I use credit cards and credit cards are great for, you know, going out to dinner and, you know, buying crap on Amazon and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, they're great. But, man, I pay my credit cards off every single month. End of story. And I get all my points and all that, and I love it. And my daughter just taught me about how to get extra points with the cashback programs like Rakuten. And, man, I had no idea of that. So I'm going to get on that scam soon. Uh, but, you know, we, we love having those conversations. We love going through the products with people and talking to them about their business. And, and really just, honest to God, just try to help them and make the right decision. We're not, we're not going to make or nothing's going to make or break us, you know, doing a deal with one guy or two guys or 10 guys, it's not going to make or break us. We just want to help people do the right thing, make a lot of money. And long-term, we're all going to help each other as you and I have done. And, you know, Jonathan, you and I've had conversations. It's, you know, it's not about, you know, addict, we got to close you tomorrow. Not at all. It's about, let's just help each other. I was, I was just about to say, I was just about to say that, you know, Don's brain is definitely one that's worth picking. You know, right. we we chatted for for a while on the phone. I mean, we didn't end up doing business together, but I I know I can still reach out to Don if I have something, you know, that I would like to discuss that I think he would have some input on. You know, I won't. I'm not saying you know call email Don incessantly for all of your you know all of the your life's problems, but you know, I reached out to him a few months ago. It's probably been longer than that now about something that wasn't, you know, directly related to what I was doing with my Amazon business still gave me his input and it was helpful and I'm grateful for it. He's, he's just that kind of guy. And I think whether you do business with him or not, he's definitely a person you want to have in your address book. I, I do appreciate that. And, and it is who I, I like to be and want to be. And, you know, I'm happy to help people. I don't, it's not about making the money. It's about helping people. And then the money just comes. It just always yeah. comes. That's, that's yeah. the easy part. Awesome. Well, Don, thanks for coming on the podcast and spending an hour with us, man. Hey, it's my pleasure. Hey, one last thing. Yeah. One last thing. So when I got into this, I, one of the first things I did was I went on and I started Googling things and searching for good podcasts and uh, blogs and such. And I came across Dylan's podcast and then your blog. And I I listened to the first one. I'm like, oh my God, this guy gives so much great information. So it's similar to what we, I, you know, you guys were saying about me, but it's, you know, God's honest truth. You really do. So what I had to do was go back to your first podcast and listen from one all the way through. And I did, I listened. And sometimes a few of them, I had to listen uh, two or three times. Then I went to your blog 
and I printed out and I saved on my computer. Um, oh God, you, you did one of the best blogs ever. Uh, do you remember the title of it? Was it the sourcing one? Might have been. Oh man, it really gave it the, any seller the objections. No, might have been the sourcing one. You gave okay. sellers such a, a blueprint on how to buy product, and you know, and, and a, a, an easy thing to do. And we teach people this all the time: don't buy three and four and five and six months worth of something. Yeah, and we yep. we we actually built a tool to show them how to act pay more for a product, all right? Whoever goes back to a supplier and says, hey, you know, I know you're offering me this product for $10. You want me to buy 200, but I only want 50. And then what are they gonna say? They're gonna say no. So what if I come back and say, instead of $10, how about I pay you more? I just wanna test the product with 50 and I'll give you $12. You know what? I make more money by buying less and turning it over faster. And I paid more, but I made more. It's so simple. And we built a tool that we're happy to share with people to teach them how to do that. It changes the game. Love it. But you taught me. You taught me. it. Yeah, that was actually in the um, the seven-figure blueprint that I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. The best. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a dense uh, beast. <laughs> it's not long, like crazy long. But, I mean, it's like soup to nuts going in depth on some advanced stuff, um, which is pretty cool. And, and I, it's not a course or like an ebook that costs money. It's literally just something I put together. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes for free. But uh, yeah, that's a fun thing. I had to have read it 10 times. No, Dylan, we're going to charge $8.99. I just heard the for free part and I'm like, man. Plus shipping. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's an ebook. <laughs> So you're not comfortable with my home office is what you're telling me. <laughs> Your wife already told me, uh, get his crap out of here. <laughs> Jonathan's three. She, she tells me it's not allowed to leave oh. this room. <laughs> this is, this is it. This is as far as it can go. So especially now that she's working from home, you know, because of the coronavirus, she's already occupied the other empty yeah. space in the home so even more so it has to be self-contained you sure she didn't say that to you jonathan that you are not allowed to leave this space (laughs) (laughs) we call it self-quarantining okay (laughs) right right this is this is our social distancing it's a positive (laughs) (laughs) she she went to the office to get away from me not because she there we go (laughs) 